try the second one. There we go. Galatians chapter 4. Good morning. <laughs> Did anything happen in the last couple of minutes I missed? Okay. Now, <clears throat> got just a few minutes. A lot of what needs to be said this morning has through the sovereignty of God already been said. If you know your Bibles, which I know many of you do, then you would recognize where we are in our study of Galatians. And you would recognize that uh, what has transpired here this morning is can only be attributed to the sovereignty of God. Uh, there is a wonderful classic book that I would highly commend to you. It's written by a man named J.I. Packer, and the book is called Knowing God. Many of you have read that book. It's a, a classic, amazing, wonderful book. I've read it several times, and I've been rereading that book. I'm going to be doing a series starting next week on Sunday nights called Knowing God. And so I picked the book up and was rereading the book. And uh, several, a week or so ago, I came across this quote that I had uh, forgotten was in the book, and Essentially, J.I. Packer asked the question, what is a Christian? And it's a, it's a question many of us have asked. It's a question many of us have been asked before in the past. And J.I. Packer answers the question, I think, in a very remarkable way. He says, the question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. He says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of our adoption gives us the deepest insights into the New Testament and all it affords of the greatness of God's love. That what we are going to look at in Galatians chapter 4 is the doctrine of adoption and how God adopts us in salvation into His amazing family. And what, take, what makes adoption so wonderful is that oftentimes when we first become a Christian, we don't even really comprehend, we don't really understand the magnitude of everything that has taken place. And even uh, those of us who have walked with God for quite some time, we're still in the process of discovering how amazing and glorious the gift of salvation is. But the doctrine of adoption is what drives us really to just be astounded afresh and anew at the love that God has for us. John, the gospel writer in 1 John, he writes, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. The fact that God has allowed us to be called children should forever and ever and ever astound you and amaze you in all that it means. And so let's pray and ask God to help us just get a fresh glimpse into the one of the richest, most spectacular truths in Scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you have given us this amazing, perfect, inerrant gift to open up our eyes and our minds to the reality of who you are. God, I pray that you will use these next few moments to in a supernatural way as only you can. Just help us to see afresh and anew. Help us to experience, God, the amazing wonder and splendor 
of the gift of adoption. And we're going to give you all the credit and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's first of all just look at Galatians 4. And I want us to begin by looking at where we all started. This is sort of the beginning point that Paul, in his letter to the churches in Galatia, he's he's been talking to them about uh, the, the danger that they're in and, and by the attack of the false teachers and how meddling with the gospel is uh, such a, a treacherous, dangerous thing. And he's been expressing uh, how much he loves the church. And so through all these glorious things that have occurred in the first three chapters, now he's going to begin to drive home just the the glory, the grand slam of Christianity, of salvation. And so he's going to begin by just laying out a picture, a reminder of where we all began this journey. Galatians 4, verse 1, the Scripture says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Now let's just stop there for a moment. I want you to see what Paul is laying out before us. He's he's saying that you can be an heir. You can you could be the the heir to inherit uh, everything that your father owns. But when you're a child, there's no difference between you and a slave because you are a child. When you're a child, you are under the authority of those who are over you. And so we're under authority as children, uh, under the authority of stewards, under the authority of those who guard over us and watch over us. And therefore, we're like a slave because a slave is always under the authority of the owner. And so as a child, one might be an heir, but they're still like a slave. Now, some of you uh, children in the room are like, well, amen, I think that's my favorite scripture. I feel like a slave. Go clean your room. Put the dishes in the dishwasher. Take the trash out. Well, now you're getting a picture. It's biblical for your parents to treat you that way. Amen. There you go. Just wanted to settle that in on you. There you go. Okay. Now, so because of, because of our youth, what happens when we're children is we're, we're totally unaware of what being an heir means. We're, we can't comprehend as children what, what it's really going to mean to grow up, what growing up is going to be all about, what the, the magnitude of the challenges. That's why when we're children, we need someone to come alongside of us and to make sure that we do all the things that we need to do. Because, see, when we're kids, we don't think we're going to need that. Because we, we, I mean, we just look at our parents and we think, well, it looks easy to me. It'll just sort of work out some way. And so we're, in a sense, children that are like slaves. Now, notice what Paul says. He says that this occurs until the time appointed by the Father. That there comes a time when the Father and the Father alone dictates that it is now time to say to the Son, Son, you're a man. You're no longer like a slave. I will no longer be mandating what you do by rules and regulations. It's time for you now to take all that you've learned and go forth as a man and live your life. Now, just a quick note here. This passage sounds like it's 
sort of excluding all the women in, a, in the room because Paul here just talks about sons. But understand that I don't think any of you do, but if some of you, there, there are some uh, translations that aren't really uh, uh, endorsed by Michael Memorial, but there are some translations out there that make the Bible uh, gender neutral, and I would caution you against that if you have a copy of Scripture that changes the word sons to sons and daughters or to children, uh, that's problematic because that lessens the, the, the greatness of what Paul is saying here. Because Paul is speaking to a culture that only understood a son as being the heir of all that the father has. And so, although it is speaking to sons and daughters, but if we say daughter here, then it wouldn't be the same because that's not what is being portrayed here. And we know earlier in chapter 3, Paul already said that whether we're man or woman or Jew or Greek, there's no difference between us at the foot of the cross, right? Amen? So just to let you know that, that ladies, you are not being excluded, but you are being exalted in this passage of Scripture along with every other person in this room. So the Father determines in His own time and according to His own purpose and agenda, when this moment will come. It's appointed only by the Father. Now, Paul is now going to use a transition from this earthly illustration and bring us into a spiritual application. So once he's set that out, that there'll be an, as a, as a child, you may be an heir, but you'll feel just like a slave. But there's a time that's appointed by the Father that you will no longer be a slave. Verse three. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, that Paul's saying that to every person who is alive, they were once a child. You either are a child or you were a child. That's the only option we have. And as long as you were a child, you were slaves to the basic rules of life. In other words, whether you recognize them or not, that there are rules governing what is right and what is wrong. Either you acknowledge those rules as the as the the law of God that's written on your heart or you war against it. But either way, it's you are underneath it and you are a slave to it and you are constantly under the tyranny of trying to do right and finding yourself constantly doing wrong. And so for example, Romans chapter 10 verse 3, the apostle Paul says there that for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's what we did prior to our knowledge of Christ. So these basic principles of right and wrong, the law, if you will. John chapter 8, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you that whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. You see, once you sin, you're a slave to sin. And so that's where we were. We were children Born under the law, we were uh, completely at the mercy of the elements of this world. And we were waiting. We were waiting for a time that was appointed by the Father. So that's where we were. That's where it all started. Now, what did God do? Number two, what did God do? Verse four. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, Paul, once he makes the case that all of us were born as slaves under the law, that we were hopelessly buried under the tyranny of the law that we could never live up to, that none of us could obey. God, at the fullness of time, at the time that was predetermined, 
by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The time that he was speaking of in verse 2, the time appointed by the Father, when that time comes, he sent forth his Son. It was time in God's economy for the slaves to be set free. And so when that time comes, he sends his Son. He provides... His son, born of a woman, but born under the law. Why is that so important? Because Jesus had to come as one of us. He had to come human, but yet He had to come born under the law because the whole point of His perfect life is that He had to do what we couldn't do. He had to live under the law and yet be perfect because we, to free us from the slavery of being under the law. And so when that time came, He sent forth His son, born of a woman, but supernaturally and yet born under the law. Why? So that through His perfect life, through His fulfillment of the law, we then might receive adoption as sons. Now, if a person is adopted, if God's way of describing His redemptive plan for you and me is to use all of this imagery. This is all His idea. He could have chosen to do this any way He wanted to do, but it was His idea that we would refer to Him as Father. It was He who chose that we would see this picture as a picture of being redeemed. That word redeemed means to be purchased like a slave, purchased out of slavery and set free, that we be redeemed and receive the this spirit of adoption, that through adoption we'd be welcomed into His family. And so if that's true, then what that must mean is that, number one, we were slaves under the law, that we were completely buried under the law, but that we were also orphaned. Because if we were in need of adoption, then we must be orphans. And to be an orphan, that means that you you don't have parents if you're an orphan. It means that those who were supposed to care for you had abandoned you. They'd forsaken you. You see, to be an orphan is to understand that you're not sure if anybody cares about you. You're not sure if anybody's going to provide for your needs. You can't know the answers to those questions because you're an orphan. But in the fullness of time, God sends forth His Son. You see, in order for this adoption to take place, do you understand the magnitude of what the gospel declares God had to pay? to adopt us into His family? Paul said earlier in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. That He became a curse to to purchase us out from under the law. In Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth... To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. The price 
that must be paid for this spiritual adoption should utterly stagger us this morning. That there was only one way that we could be brought out from under the law. And that meant that the law had to be fulfilled. That the demands of the law had to be satisfied. And in order for that to happen, someone would have to obey it perfectly. Which none of us could do. And beyond that, that one would become the perfect sacrifice for all who would follow. And there was only one option. There was no plan B. There is no plan B. There's one way and one way only. And it's the highest, hardest, payment that will ever be paid. It's the greatest sacrifice that can ever be made. It's, the, it's what makes the gospel stagger us. Just, just the, the, and, and all Paul is getting to, he's just getting to the reality that by redeeming us, our sin is forgiven, which is extraordinary and and amazing because we don't deserve it. But yet He does it anyway. But that there's more. That in this redeeming process, there's adoption. And so that's where we all started. We all started as orphan slaves. But what God did was at the fullness of time, the Father sent forth His Son. And now, thirdly, who are we now? You see, now we, we approach the, the pinnacle of this reality. We, 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 we begin to, to, to look up at the top of the mountain of this doctrine and we begin to see the sun cracking over the, the top and we realize that we're about to break forth and have a view that we're going to be able to look across this huge expanse and see the reality of everything that has happened on our behalf. Verse 6, Paul says, And because you are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. What is so astonishing about the word Abba, Father? It just, it just in a, I couldn't even sleep last night. Because I just couldn't believe that this text is where we are and that those videos are what you are going to see. That I almost fell out of my chair when Glenn said, my Abba Father. I mean, literally every single thing that's in this text before us was referenced in those five videos. The reason the Scripture uses this Aramaic term to mean daddy is because there, there's no other word that, that, that conveys this, this sort of relationship, this sort of uh, closeness and intimacy. The, the term daddy is the only term that we have that we can use. And so 
As unbelievable as that is, you have to stop and, and, and recognize that in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and the weight of the sin of all the world is pressing down upon Him and He kneels down and prays to the Father. He leans in and He says, Abba, Father, that Jesus calls His Father Daddy. And that through the spirit of adoption, you and I are invited to approach and talk to God the way Jesus does. That the word Abba Father is there like, like, a, like a, a, a giant lighthouse that just shines off of your page to say, you now, through the spirit of adoption, you can relate to the God of the universe that it's more than just that your sins have been forgiven. It's more than just that your slate has been wiped free. It's more than just all the guilt of your past has been removed and washed away. It's more than that. That beyond that, beyond all of those amazing, wonderful things, none of which you deserve, you can come to God and call Him Daddy. That you can approach God with the the intimacy and the love and the closeness that Jesus did at the most trying moment of His life. Spiritual adoption into the family of God. Yes, it is, it is so similar in so many ways to, to physical adoption, to human adoption. And that's why God chooses this word to, to draw us close. That when you, when you hear Dallas say that his parents taught him that when you're adopted it means that you're chosen I just my heart just wants to jump completely out of my chest because I'm so excited and there's never been a truer thing uttered but to be spiritually adopted here's what you have to understand there are some significant differences one of which is that there's utterly and completely no evaluation on the one who's adopted. In other words, in spiritual adoption, unlike human adoption, there doesn't need to be any... There's no, there's no prior relationship. There's no... No one walks through the, the orphanage and, and looks at the children and waits for that... That moment when, when that child connects to the heart, connects to your heart, or whatever the case may be, that that moment doesn't happen in, in spiritual adoption. In spiritual adoption, you're just utterly and completely accepted for who you are. And you are fully disclosed that the one who is adopting you knows every single bad thing about you knows every deficiency, every mistake, every broken place in your heart. And it doesn't stop the adopter from pursuing you and receiving you into his family. That it's, it's an unconditional adoption. You see, if you, if you have children of your own, as I do, then you, you understand only 
Only a parent can understand the love that you have in your heart for your children. And what we say is that we say, well, you know, we had our children. We, we had our, Lisa and I had our two children. And Kayla was born and we rejoiced. And Colton was born and we rejoiced. And one was a girl and one was a boy. And they were different in every way from that moment forward. But we didn't, we didn't fill out a survey. We didn't, we didn't choose any options. I didn't, you know, get a form and fill it out and say, well, you know, God, I, I think I'd, I'd like a, give me a six foot four son. I want one that's going to literally eat me out of house and home. I want that. Give me that one. Uh, I didn't say, God, please give me a, a, a beautiful girl with exquisite taste for the finest things in life. I didn't fill that card out. They just came that way. But you see, when you're adopted, someone pursued you. Because you can't Resolve your problem in and of yourself, which is where this all began as we were slaves under the law, unable to do anything of our own. That's why we're looking at this picture of adoption, because God wants us to see that someone who is in need, an orphan in an orphanage cannot adopt themselves. They can't resolve their problem. They can't they can't manufacture parents. They're completely at the mercy of someone else, some external force to intervene on their behalf. That's where we are. And so that means that as adopted children of God, that God pursued us. God came to where you were, where I am. He came and found us in that place. And He, 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 He brought us into His family. This is why you have to understand that you, you can't, you can't save yourself. You can't make yourself savable. It doesn't work like that. That all you can do is sit there as an orphan until God comes knocking. And so listen very closely. There may be a lot of things we can wonder about this morning. Our hearts are so fickle and we wonder and consider all of the things that may occur in our life that, that we don't know and we don't understand and we can't predict. And I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the results of your tests are going to be. I don't know who you're going to marry. I don't know what you're going to become when you grow up. I don't know. The answer to most of those questions. But there's one question I absolutely, positively, undoubtedly know the answer to. And that is the question, does God love me? You see, the reason why we can never doubt that love is because of what he's done through the spirit of adoption. That we couldn't be where we are. We couldn't be redeemed. We couldn't be His sons. We couldn't be His daughters. We couldn't possess the Bible. It couldn't be true. 
It just couldn't be. That in order for all of this to be true, He must love us beyond our wildest dreams and imagination. Don't you see that once God gets us past the reality that He's forgiven all of our sin, once we begin to walk in this newness of life, then the rest of our life is spent realizing the reality of what it is to be adopted. And so over and over in Scripture, He's reminding us of who we are, but we just can't seem to believe it. We can't seem to get it through our heads. And Paul declares in Romans chapter 5, he said, For as many as one man's disobedience made us all sinners. We were all slaves through sin. It started with one man. But so also by one man's obedience, all were made righteous. You see, because if you're a son, you're righteous. Because the only sons God has, the only daughters God has are righteous ones. And so when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that you might be the righteousness of God in him. Listen, you're a lot more than forgiven. You're the righteousness of God. That when he looks at you, he sees his son. That being a child of God, it comes with being an heir of God. That when you are God's son or daughter, you are wealthy beyond your wildest dreams and imagination. Which is why the Bible implores us not to be so fickle and worrisome and and troubled by the, the ebbs and flows of the life in which we live in. Because we should live our lives as if we were someone who knew that there was a trust fund waiting for us. That was, that was filled with a bounty that could never be spent in a thousand lifetimes. And so therefore, as we wait until we receive the fullness of this trust fund, if the economy ebbs and flows, if our health goes up or goes down, we're not troubled like the people around us because we know that it's only for a time, that there's coming a day when none of this is going to matter. Have you ever been around someone who stood to inherit a great sum of money? They live different lives than the rest of the people around them. Which is exactly what we should do. We should live different lives. We should see things through a different lens. We don't panic. We don't worry and and fill our lives with anxiousness. Because it's all going to be okay. So Paul says in verse 7, Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. An heir of God. It's like... As an heir, you see, you, you are one who, who will inherit. That the, 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 the will has been, has been drafted, it's been signed, and it's been sealed, and it is secure, and it will be executed. There's nothing that can stop this will from being executed. You will inherit this inheritance. And so by being an heir of God, Although you don't get the inheritance now, you get the assurance of being an heir, which is the grace now. You get the grace of being an heir now. You get the glory of being an heir later. And you see, through His Spirit. That's why He gives us His Spirit. He sends forth His Spirit. Why? Because through His Spirit, He's he's guiding us and He's teaching us. He's walking with us everywhere we go. He's... Strengthening us. He's assuring us. He's convicting us. He's comforting us. He's 
giving us gifts. He's empowering us. That His Spirit is with us, sanctifying us every step of the way, wherever we go. And so when Paul comes and says, but when the fullness of time has come, He sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. He's saying, can you believe this? Why would you ever turn away from this reality? Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish sons and daughters. Why do you get tangled up in meaningless endeavors when you have been purchased out of slavery? Why why are you walking in the condemnation of days gone by when you are the righteousness of God? Why are you riddled with the guilt of decisions that have been covered by the precious blood of Jesus. Go forth, sons and daughters. You're safe now. Your inheritance can never be taken away. Never. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that can change this reality. See, because you're Sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into your hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. You may feel like He's a million miles away from you this morning. You might feel like God could never love you that way. But you are wrong because He does. He declares He does. He wants you to know that. You know, as I studied this passage, my mind kept going back to Luke chapter 15. I kept thinking about the parable of the prodigal son and all the ways in which there's so many implications about adoption in that parable. And I kept thinking about how the son, after he squandered all of his inheritance and found himself sitting at the bottom of his life and just in the destruction of everything that he's done, And he says, I'm going to go back to my father. He remembers. He realizes the the love of his father. He realizes the care and the safety of being with his father. And he says, I've sinned. I don't deserve to be a son. But being a servant in my father's house is a million times better than this. And so he gets up and he He goes home and when the father sees him and comes running to him, he again tells the father, he says, I I don't deserve to be your son. I just want to be a servant. You see, he doesn't realize that he's a son and there's nothing he can do to not be a son. He doesn't realize. We don't always realize that when we are sitting 
in the ash heap of our life. Who, who enlightens our mind to the reality that, wait a second, in my father's house, there's comfort and care and love and acceptance and the spirit of God that's within us is with us in that ditch. That God was with him in that ditch. And God was reminding him to come home. And that when he came home, he still thought he wasn't worthy to be a son. And the father didn't even blink, hugged him, kissed him, acknowledging, no, you're a son. Come home. And everything was brought out for a celebration because a son had came home. Not a servant. Once a son, once a daughter, always a child. There's nothing you can do to be a slave again. But you can live like you're a slave. You can live as if you're still a slave. But God says, no. Call me daddy. Always call me daddy. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning for your great love for us displayed in the doctrine of adoption. We thank you, Father God, for allowing us to just soak in the beauty and splendor of your love. Father, we give you Praise and glory for that. Lord, I pray that, God, you'd find a people here who are utterly astonished by the reality that's before us. Lord, may we have the courage to respond to you. Whatever you're speaking into our hearts, God, we want to respond. You're here with us. You're leading us. Some of us, you're calling for the first time, to be a son or to be a daughter. Some, you're just reminding that you're daddy. Some, you're telling everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're safe in my arms. God, whatever it is, we thank you for it. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name.